Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot... Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Anxiety, the podcast from Lighthouse Hockey. My name is Dan Saracini. Joining me on this Wednesday evening uh, via Skype is my friend Michael Leboff. And uh, Mike, it's been some kind of week in the NHL this week. We got a lot to go over. Yeah, seriously. And uh, it's <laughs> kind of all hell broke loose a little bit. And it all started with like a really kind of under the radar. I like to call them creepy trades, that Dylan Strom <laughs> trade. And that, like, that was like the, I grew up with Eklund, Eklund, that guy would always say, there's always one domino. Hmm. Uh, and that just happened to be the the Strom brothers. The Strom <laughs> the Strom brothers set set the NHL on fire. Yeah, uh, I know it, it came as a great shock to everyone to see the Blackhawks and Coyotes make a trade because they've never done that before. Uh, but yeah, it came out of nowhere. Like I don't know, one o'clock in the morning or something. It's very weird. But uh, but we'll get to that. We'll get to some other league news uh, towards the end. But uh, we should start talking about the Islanders who had a a really interesting week. Uh, some good, some bad. Some kind of in the middle. Uh, one great quote that we're probably going to talk a lot about in a little bit. Um, so, but we got four games to talk about. I, I was thinking today. Remember when we were like complaining that they only played one game a week and we didn't have much to talk about? Well, this is the opposite of that because they, yeah. they had four games and each one was a different story. But uh, the easiest to recap was probably the one that happened literally a week ago from today. Uh, five nothing loss <laughs> to the New York Rangers. 
that I didn't watch because of my longstanding policy of not watching games against the Rangers. But also I had like 20 people coming over for Thanksgiving. So I had a lot to do and a lot to prep for. And it looks like I made the right call because I didn't need to watch that game. Uh, they never they were down the Islanders were down three nothing after the first period. Apparently played better in the second period. Didn't really all that much matter. I don't know, a bunch of Rangers nobody ever heard of scored goals and one guy got a shutout. It wasn't Hendrik Lundqvist. So I don't know, maybe he's gonna play now against the Islanders all the time. But uh you like to watch games against the Rangers. Did you watch it? Was it <laughs> was it worth watching for anything or probably not? No, it wasn't. <laughs> I, I it felt like uh it was it it was like obviously because they scored three goals very quickly but it felt over like the second the puck dropped mm. which i mean they scored right away too but yeah. it, it just we- it weirdly going into the game mm. there's like the last five minutes of of the pre-game for me like i just was like they're not gonna win after being confident all day yeah I, which is weird i was afraid of that because I, I was afraid that like i was thinking to myself you know there were like two days of people writing wow the islanders really always beat the rangers and i'm like the Rangers have to read the newspaper, right? Like they have to kind of be getting a little bit sick of reading these stories. And uh, I guess either that or they just, you know, it was a bad night. But uh, but it happens. And I mean, I don't even know if I watched the Barry Trotz presser afterwards because it probably didn't much matter. Um, but uh, a couple of interesting things in writing following that game. Uh, one was Arthur Staple. That was actually the Islanders' 20th game of the season. And Arthur wrote an article, you know, evaluating the Isles at 20 games and and um you know, basically what was kind of holding them back and, and how they were surprising people, but not quite where they need to be because they still need to find uh, Trotz's system and the evaluation period is still going on, uh, whether we like it or not. And unfortunately, a lot of that evaluation has so far involved older players. And I thought that was pretty interesting because one thing that Jenny wrote in her recap that I kind of gravitated to, and, and you know, this is the thing that has always been with the Islanders, but like, you know, it's it's tough to see them lose to the five nine to the Rangers, but like the Rangers are rebuilding now and like every guy on that team seems like a young guy, like kind of a guy who's, you know, kind of making his way and it's exciting to watch them play and kind of find, you know, their what kind of player they're gonna be. Meanwhile, the Islanders are getting along with like really good performances by guys like Valtteri Filpola <laughs> and Leo Komarov and Casey Sezikis and, you know, some guys that are old and been here, some guys that are old and haven't been here. But, you know, Matthew Barzell is here. Anthony Bovillier's had some problems. Ryan Pollock's had some problems. And so there's, it's a mostly old roster for a team that is evaluating uh, its lineup, which is a little bit really irritating. I mean, I get that they're kind of seeing results sometimes, but you kind of wish, you, you know, sometimes some part of me does wish it was more young guys playing and be like, yeah, that's my boy. As opposed to like, oh, it's that old guy showing up again. You know, I kind of wish that that was the case. But I think they probably have the wrong the wrong power structure to see that kind of situation happening. You know. <laughs> yeah, it's it it weirdly reminds me of um, the like the right after the lockout years uh, under Nolan and then um, I guess Scott Gordon, yeah. but uh, where it was very yeah like very he- veteran heavy. But uh, these it sucks like <laughs> big picture wise, but. You know, when the game's going on and you're not really thinking about that kind of stuff, it's it's been fun to watch and kind of laugh along at the Valtteri Filppula, you know, never missing <laughs> and that kind of stuff. You know, so like, I'm enjoying that aspect of it a lot. And obviously the fact that they're doing well. And, yeah, um, yeah just I mean, I'm, I'm the thing with the Rangers. There, I mean, before the Islanders never lost to the Rangers, the Rangers beat the Islanders like it's just a cyclical like that. Mm. And uh, I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, now this this when we move back to the Coliseum and then. Belmont, the Islanders never beat the Rangers in those, you know, in those places. So, yeah. 
Uh, yeah, the fact that they lost uh, was less surprising. I mean, at some point they were going to lose these guys. Like, it just happens. But, yeah, I, I could totally see the worm turning on there, too. I mean, I remember when the, the Islanders couldn't beat the Carolina Hurricanes, and then now they seem to have a hex on them. But, wait, before we get to that, let's talk about a game against the New Jersey Devils. <laughs> um, on the day after Thanksgiving, a weird 4 o'clock start, which is sort of like a mat. I guess it's still technically a matinee, but uh, both teams – played like they were full of stuffing. It wasn't really the most exciting game in the world. Uh, the Islanders had a lead. They lost it. They had a lead. They lost it. They had a lead. They lost it with 10 seconds to go. Matt Barzell won it in overtime with a really exciting uh, goal. Nick Letty scored a goal that was like vintage Nick Letty, if such a thing actually exists. That was it. He went coast to coast and little did a little kind of turn in front of the goalie, and he scored, and it was like, where's this guy been all season? Um, they had played better than they had in the previous two games, but it still wasn't wasn't exactly a fun game to watch. Uh, but they got the win. So I guess you take it and you go on. And uh, Keith Kincaid still has trouble beating the Islanders, the team he grew up rooting for, which I find hilarious. I don't know if anybody else finds that funny, but I do. But, uh, but yeah, Matt Barzell in overtime was very exciting. And uh, you thought, hey, maybe this is kind of cool. Um, I don't know. What, did you watch that one at all? I mean, I, I, yeah. I don't think a lot of people were watching it. But yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was, you know, my uh my family was over again on Friday, and uh, it's a, it's basically like an island. It's not an Islanders like sweep, but um you know my uncle I have an uncle who's a Devils fan who's not really into hockey that much, but he's from Jersey. And then uh, another who's a Ranger fan who um stopped. He said he stopped watching after 1994 because he's he's he it, it, it's there's a uh, there's a boxing match going on Saturday. Tyson Fury and Deontay Wilder. And Deontay Wilder talks about how after he beat he upset Vladimir Klitschko like crazy upset in heavyweights in 2015 and he said after that moment like I was just like I just have been waiting for that my whole life so I didn't know what else to do with myself and that's kind of how like my my uncle is kind of with the Rangers like he got there and he's like yeah. just been like all right like I I accomplished what I needed yeah. to accomplish with so he he's he he's uh he's a Ranger fan and I can respect but that he, though <laughs> yeah yeah exactly right? he, he he but he roots for the island, yeah. Islanders like in like a funny condescending way with when he's over so we were watching that game and in the same like the devils and islanders same matchup which was on easter when when uh the dublowitz game which we talk about once an episode but uh he was over that day too and he turned to me and he said oh they're gonna tie this game up you know it right it's like you know 11 seconds left and then this time islanders devils turns to me with this like and it was so deja vu he's like they're gonna tie it up and i said the same thing to, to him i said that day too i said I know they are. They're the Islanders, and then, you know, the, that happened. But uh, it was, it was, it was, it was really nice to see Barzell uh, score that goal and Letty too, because I really was pissed off with Letty with the way he played uh, on that that goal. I think it was the second goal, the one by Joe Hans. Was it where he he got beat at the blue line? Oh, was it Letty? Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. He like just like kind of was like you know going through the motions defending the the pass mm. that ended up being the goal. Um, so I was happy. I thought maybe a little redemption and he, and he would get hot, mm. but yeah, not really an entertaining game mm. in a vacuum. It was just, for me, it was all right. Cause I was watching with a ton of people. <laughs> yeah. I, I was watching at home. My, my wife and daughter were out, I guess, black Friday shopping. I don't even remember now, but, uh, I was like, Oh, come on. That's another, I mean, we talked about that, uh, the, uh, Doug wait reprieve, uh, the, uh, the game they lost in Tampa, where they, everybody blew the zone too early was kind of like a repeat of Doug Wade hockey. Losing a game in ten, you know, having a game tied with ten seconds ago is definitely also a Doug Wade hockey uh, hallmark. But uh, yeah, it was good to see them come back and and score. And um, my my uh, 
my ire in that game was directed towards Brian Gianta. Uh, no, Stephen Gianta. Sorry, I forgot which Gianta the Islanders had. Um, Stephen Gianta had been called up to replace Casey Sezikis as the fourth line center because that's kind of what he is. And look, I mean, the guy's been around a long time. He's never like a great player. Uh, he's kind of a fill-in body, but even still, like, I, I think it's gotten to the point where he, he's definitely not useful in any way, shape, or form, and he was mostly invisible for that entire game until the point when Brian Boyle literally ragdolled him to the ice and then scored a goal, and, like, Brian Boyle is, like, a huge man, and he just knocked uh, uh, Steven Gianta to the ice the way I knock my cat off my lap when the phone rings and I got to get up and get it. Like it was not, it was like, it wasn't <laughs> even there. And I was like, Oh man, this guy, I mean, again, you know, you don't expect much, but you expect a little bit more than that. And so, um, he was gone the next day, Gianta. And, uh, he was replaced by Tanner Fritz, who was called up uh, from Bridgeport, who's now back to Bridgeport because cases Zeke is off IR. But, um, yeah, that, that was a game, you know, the Islanders have already had, I mean, they've played 21 games and, They've already had a number of games that, like, they had to win. Like that Vancouver game we talked about, they really had to win that game. They had lost a couple in a row. They needed a win. Uh, I, I don't know if the Devils game was necessarily a had-to-win situation, but with the way this this uh, division is, and we'll talk about where these standings are when we after we recap the games, um, like, you can't let too many losses pile up. And, I mean, that's been a hallmark of the Islanders for a long time now is, you know, one or two – you drop one or two games in a row, hey, what are you going to do? But, like – you don't want it to stretch into five, six games. You know, you get two points in six games. You don't want that to happen. And so, so far, the Islanders have, have kind of been making it so that they don't have those huge lapses. And getting two points out of that game in New Jersey, even with the, the getting tied at the, at the end of with 10 seconds to go, is a, it was a good thing. I mean, they kind of needed those points. So they had a game the next night against the Carolina Hurricanes, who, again, you know, pile up shot, who've basically outplayed the Islanders two twice already this season and come away with losses both times. Um, and I thought to myself, well, they're definitely going to lose that game because it's the next night. Um, when Thomas Grice ended up starting, I was like, well, that's dumb. We never never start the same goalie on back-to-back nights. Well, it shows how dumb I am because they won. Um, they won 4-1. to one. The Hurricanes, I don't know, there's <laughs> something about the Islanders that they don't like. But um, they did their thing where they t- took a ton of shots. But really, uh, the high danger scoring chances were very much in favor of the Islanders, uh, fourteen to three, according to uh, Arthur Staples' uh, article the next day on how the Islanders are defying Corsi to win the battle, uh, to win games in the Battle of Extremes with the Hurricanes. And uh, it was pretty. I actually didn't watch a game. I had to watch a condensed game. We were in the city that night, but uh, it seemed like they played really, really well and took out a team that you know is still you know one of those teams that they need to battle for, you know, a bottom playoff spot or something like that. So uh, I just find it funny that, you know, we're the only team in the league. The Islanders are the only team in the league that looks like the Hurricanes. Like, oh, my God, these guys are going to kill us, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and it turns out they, they have a good streak against them. So I don't know. What what'd you see in that one? It was – I didn't watch it at all, so I'm interested to hear. Yeah, yeah, I was uh, I was actually kind of like three sheets to the wind watching it. <laughs> <laughs> but weirdly enough, I uh, yeah, I went out and ended up uh, at a bar my friend used to work at and uh, – we were me and my buddies were out watching some of the college football, and then ended up at the Mepham High School reunion. Oh even though I mean I I've got no no <laughs> uh, tie to Mepham at all, but uh, they were there. They were at R.J. Daniels at Raffle Center, and and I was there visiting my like saying hello to a couple people, and um, I was kind of watching it in that environment where there was just a ton of people having a high school reunion, and then me and my 
a couple of my friends at the other side of the bar and the Islander game was on the furthest TV from me. Um, and I'd have to, and I'd have to walk through the Mepham high school, 10 year high school reunion to get a good seat. So, uh, I was watching from afar and I felt like every time I turned up, like, like you said, like Valtteri Filippola or whoever was leading a two on one, or mm. there was a, a scramble in front of Scott Darling. So, uh, from the, you know, very, <laughs> Like three, th- watching from three thousand feet away, uh, I thought it was, looked great. And every time I looked up, I, I mean, I was smiling the whole time watching right. it because it it was never really in doubt. Uh, kind of like the Ranger game, mm. the opposite. <laughs> I guess that's a good that's a good uh, a good breakdown of it. But yeah, it so- sounds like it was never really in doubt. And man, that's got darling contract. You know, it's funny how. You know, people talk about stuff during the offseason like it's a given. Like, I remember when they signed Scott Darling, I was like, this is the guy they need. They needed a goalie. They got one. This is the way it's going to be. And finally, Cam Ward, the whole the stranglehold of Cam Ward will be taken off the Hurricanes. Well, first of all, Cam Ward played most of that season because Scott Darling wasn't very good. And now that Ward has moved on, Scott Darling still isn't that good. <laughs> so I don't know what they're going to do with that contract. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, hey, you take a chance, goalies are voodoo. That kind of thing, but that that's pretty rough. I mean, they're still kind of looking for that a uh, number one goalie. Yeah, that that contract was a gigantic break for everybody else in the uh, <laughs> in the division. Yeah, seriously. Um, but uh, but yeah, Rod Brindamore, by the way, not happy with his team's performance in that game. So that's what made me wonder, like, well, was this just sour grapes, or was this team really not that good? But apparently, the Islanders played pretty well. And again, that's that you know wasn't expected, at least not by me. Back to back, same goalie team that takes a lot of shots and they took their shots, but none of them were really of, of the dangerous variety or the high, the high danger variety. So, uh, you know, it's one of those things I kind of have to get my, my mind out of immediately like, Oh, well, that's a schedule loss, but, uh, we'll talk about that in a little bit, sort of changing the mindset of the Islander fan, because we have one more game to talk about, which was Monday night against the defending Stanley cup champion, Washington capitals. And the caps came in red hot. Uh, they'd won, I don't know, five or six in a row, uh, the Islanders have now won two in a row, so hey, maybe they can make something out of this. And you know, it'd be interesting to see sort of trots versus, you know, former trots <laughs> and and how it was going to work out. But so the game ended up uh, it was four one caps, but the Islanders did play pretty well. The difference was uh, they went zero for four in the power play and they gave up a power play goal. That's it. That's what happens. And the power play we'll we'll talk about too in a little bit because it is terrible. Um, and that's really the difference. I mean, they, they had their high school changers, Sanchez against the Caps. So did the Caps. Um, but, you know, sometimes if they had scored a goal on a power play, hey, you never know. Maybe they get a point out of it. Maybe not. But the score really wasn't indicative of, of how the game was. More notable was what happened before and after the game. So it's very rare that a coach wins a championship and then, you know, is coaching a different team the next year. Uh, goes, yeah, goes to coach the New York Islanders. Yeah, yeah that too, uh, more importantly. Um, but uh, so, I mean, nobody really knew what was going to happen when Barry Trotz and Lane Lambert and Mitch Korn got their rings uh, on the night that the, the Islanders played the Caps. Um, but Barry Trotz went into the, the visitor's locker room and he got a rousing round of applause and he applauded the caps and it was all very chummy and, and very friendly. And, and Trotz, he gave a speech that was, was very sincere and very heartfelt. And he said that, you know, they'd always have memories together and he's going to cherish them forever. And, and it was going to be very hard to hate them because he came to, you know, appreciate them and, and they, him and so on. And uh, the big nugget, and thank you to the caps for putting this out on, on Twitter. So we could all watch it. And if you haven't watched it, cause you've been avoiding it, I definitely recommend you do it because he says, you know, that he tells the Caps, you know, he agreed with what T.J. Oshie said, which was that the Caps could do it again. But 
and you know parental advisory right here you're gonna have to go through the fucking island and i can't really do justice to the way he said it (laughs) because it was dead silence in that room like i kept expecting it to be like a punchline like somebody to laugh or like a smirk but he was 100 percent sincere and nobody said a word and he said you're gonna have to go through the fucking island to do it and at that point i was like my mind was blown like i was like where did this guy come from? <laughs> Are you kidding me? <laughs> what is he talking about here? The fact that they lost the game, yeah, it kind of sucks. But I was like, no, we won, we won the game. We won, just for that, yeah. we won it. Was, it's, yeah, it feels like cares. that. But it was like yeah. they didn't even have to play it after. Yeah, that. It, again, don't don't take my word for it. Don't take my reenactment of it because it's better to hear him say it because he says it with one hundred percent honesty and sincerity. He is dead serious, and he's not saying it like in a mean way. Or like in a snarky, sarcastic way, which is how you and I would have said it. But like, you know, he's serious. And again, one thing we know about Trotz is he he means what he says and he says what he means. And he doesn't mince words and he's totally, totally honest, which is something we have not seen from coaches here in a very, very long time. And then after the game, um, you know, they, they somebody asked him, I think it was Andrew Gross or somebody asked him about it. And he was like, yeah, you know, I think we've got the pieces here. You know, I know what it takes to win and, and you know, I've seen what it takes and the Caps have seen what it takes. And we're going to get there. uh, Oh, sorry. Uh, This is this was the actual. I actually wrote it down. So he said, um, you know, the Caps executed the game. He's like, that's what champions do. They execute. We're going to get there. We will get there. Which, again, was like he said it with 100 percent sincerity. He was dead serious. We are going to get there. And it's like, are we talking about the same team right now? And it's just this is kind of like, you know, all these games we just talked about, like they're kind of leading up to this moment of like. Holy cow, this guy really, truly, honestly believes that he can do this. And it makes you want to believe it, too. And it's just like, I've never seen anything like this. It's crazy. It was <laughs> the most, like, inspiring thing I've ever seen in my life. Uh, yeah, right. he's, the, the, the whole thing was great. Him walking in, clapping, yeah. too. Like, there was just something. It was Gives like. Gives Ovi the big you know, bear hug. Like, yep, yeah. Yeah. Like, the this guy, I would do anything for this guy. And. I never really realized that about him. It's obvious, and I guess you know that's this is with any great coach until you uh, have him as a coach. Um, and when he said that, I, I I'm I'm a little upset because I saw on Twitter like people talking about what he said, and uh, before I saw it, I really wish I had not known the quote before <laughs> I I saw the video. Spoiler alert. But what he yeah. said, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, when he and like you said, like, when he says it, you're like, holy, yeah, like. Yeah, and 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 I was like, and you know what? So are the Blue Jackets. Yeah. So are the Rangers. <laughs> so are the Devils. Right. So are the Penguins. So are the Lightning. Like we could beat anybody. And uh, I just was. It, it there was. Uh, like I I can't even begin to describe how long I've been waiting for that type of guy to say that type of thing about the New York Islanders. And the way he said, you know, I also love that he said you have to come through the fucking island. Mm-hmm. Like he, he the way he's he he didn't like we, people love. When you talk about Long Island, you have to do it a certain way. You know, the whole on or in Long Island. Mm. You know, he, he didn't say you have to go through Brooklyn. He didn't say that. Mm. He said you have to go through the fucking island. <laughs> like, like that. It's just this. Like, it 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 made me really think about right. the whole Coliseum, yeah. uh, like the, in its heyday, right? Like the Fort Never Lose kind of thing. Right. And uh, I, it, and I was like, this guy, he gets that, and he knows that kind of stuff, and he's turning, he's taking what the Islanders were so good at harnessing back in the dynasty years of this, like. Yeah, you you should you should be afraid, like yeah. because I'm there, and so is are these people who are fucking nuts fans <laughs> who are tailgating at nine in the morning and go uh, before a game, and 
then you got these this these teams that he believes in. And I was like, wow, yeah, this guy. Like it, I, I I started montaging in my head, and I don't even know what what I was watching. <laughs> yeah, he's definitely by saying the island, he's definitely trying to establish that as an identity. Like this is the place, this is the obstacle in your way is this island, and when you cross that bridge after playing the Rangers or the Devils or Flyers or Bruins or whatever, now you're in our territory. And now you got to beware and you got to be ready because we're coming for you. That's kind of what he's trying to establish there. And yeah, it's inspiring. Like, oh my God, like, where's the pride? Like, you know, this is a team that, you know, they've had, they've had moments of pride. Um, you know, obviously when they <laughs> winning a, a playoff series is helpful, but you know, again, that, that 2016 playoff series against trots and the caps, ironically, like you felt a lot of pride there. And we talked about that, you know, guys like Kyle Poso, Franz Nielsen, like they came up, um, you know, yeah, John Tavares, like they came up, as young kids through this Islander system and they, and they built relationships as 18 year old kids. And now they were like in their mid twenties and they're, they're doing something as Islanders and they're bringing that pride back and they're happy. They're proud to be Islanders. And like, we hadn't had that in a long time because there's so many sort of transient dudes that came through here <laughs> that played elsewhere. And, you know, yeah, they had pride when they were like, you know, a Buffalo Saber or an Ottawa Senator. Well, now these guys were Islanders. Now, unfortunately, all of those dudes are gone. So how are we going to establish the Islanders as a thing? Well, you know, there are guys at Matt Barzell and Anthony Beauvillier. I'm sure they're proud to be Islanders for sure. But like Barry Trotz is here. He is ready to be an Islander. Like he is he is here. And, and you know, I know a lot of people were kind of like, ah, why is he going into the Caps locker room? He's a little bit too, uh, too friendly with these guys still. I mean, look, the guy just won a cup with these guys. If he didn't think he was going to like say something – honest and and you know sincere then you're just not paying attention like that's what the guy and does. also it also has to be said how like the classy exudes like they they left him out of their tribute video right. which was four minutes four minutes long i mean a stanley cup video is going to be long right. you know you win one hmm. maybe in a lifetime so the capitals put together a long stanley cup tribute video before their cup raising ceremony which they have every right to do and they didn't show him once <laughs> and he knows that Gosh, obviously yeah. he knows that yeah I thought I was hoping the Islanders would would put up a Stanley Cup tribute video for the Capitals where it was just Barry Trotz. <laughs> but before that, <laughs> him like wagging his eyebrows behind the bench yeah. and like yelling, slapping that piece of paper against his right. head, Sh- shaking hands with like Tortorella <laughs> after the you know playoffs series, the Blue Jackets. Yeah, that would be kind of funny. Wow, yeah, I totally forgot about that. But but yeah, I mean yeah, that, that's and he goes in there. Yeah, no, but that's who Trotz is. Like that's a, that's kind of inspiring in and of itself too. I mean, we all have. Moments where, we're, where there's a lot of self-doubt and, you know, you're, you're kind of beating around the bush a little bit. Barry Trotz is not a man who beats around the bush, clearly. Like, he just – he goes for what he – he's a little bit like Tony Stark. Like, he just says what's on his mind because he's just honest. And and that's a great way to be, you know. I mean, I can't imagine him ever saying anything. Yep. He's a little bit – he likes to play games with, like, his starting goalie uh, and the starting lineup sometimes where he doesn't announce <laughs> it until, like, you know, a minute before the game. I think that's kind of where he, he kind of gets his, you know, fun out, but – Jimmy just jumped on me. I'm sorry. That's all right. <laughs> I thought you were going to say so. Um, but yeah, so that was pretty inspiring. And immediately I thought, wow, that that would be that would be a great shirt. And uh, Yes Men Outfitters beat me to it. So if you want a shirt that says you're going to have to go through the island, uh, they have it. So go to Yes Men Outfitters. We'll have a tweet in the post so you can go follow it. It's a cool shirt. You should buy it. It's got like Trotz's head there. But uh, but yeah, that was pretty inspiring. So so here we are. Let's uh, Let's pull up the standings. Probably going to change by the time you hear this because it's already Wednesday evening. But uh, so right now they are, are uh, I guess, tenth in the conference. Uh, they have they are twelve nine and two with twenty six points. So they're one point behind Carolina for the final wild card spot. They are 
uh, four points behind Boston for the seventh spot. And, uh, oh, look at that. Guess who's up next on the schedule? Boston Bruins Thursday night. Um, the Bruins have kind of had the Islanders number forever. I don't can't remember the last time the, the Islanders beat the Bruins with any sort of regularity ever in their entire history. Um, but the Bruins right now are without Patrice Bergeron. They're without Zdeno Char. They're without Charlie McAvoy. So if you're going to try and really, really hard to win one of these games against these dudes, now would be the time to do it. And again, I'm not going to call it a must win, but, you know, I mean, you can make an argument that everyone's a must win. But, you know, you win that game, maybe a couple things break a little bit in a certain way. Maybe you get back in a playoff picture. Maybe you're just like one point behind. You stay there. Um, they got a plus four point differential, which is pretty impressive. Um, and so, again, like we talked about last week, things are kind of moving in the right direction, uh, unless you wanted to tank, in which case they're moving in a terrible direction. But, you know, this is this is the team, I think, under trots. Like, he's all about belief, and he's all about we're going to do this, and we can do this, uh, which is a totally alien concept to, I know, me and a lot of other Islanders fans. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's really strange having faith in, uh, in not only the team, but the guy behind the bench and... I'm just I'm, I'm thinking about you know still thinking about him walking into that locker room and even if he hadn't said that just seeing that and seeing him clapping and seeing what the cap the, how the Capitals reacted to him just goes to show you like okay I don't care if this guy plays Steven Gionta 23 minutes a night like I just would run through a wall for him yeah. uh and I know and just speaking about that Bruins game uh Jan Kovash mm. was uh, was on the ice for the morning skate yeah. to, or whatever they had today so that is not good. It's going to be the Kovash and Halak show. <laughs> you know what? Like, I, I know that hockey coaches and GMs, they don't really think like fans do. Like, we like to think that they do, but they really don't. And, like, they have, kind of have their own way of going about things. But, like, playing Jan Kovash against the Islanders, I think, is, pro- is pretty much a dick move by Don Sweeney and or Bruce Cassidy. And, like... Hey, go for it! Like I'm all for. I'm not. I'm not. Uh, you know, imputing their decision making. I think in a way it's kind of awesome. It'll suck if he scores like a hat trick against them. But that's. I mean, that's not a coincidence, right? Oh yeah, we just called him up. He's playing really well. We thought we'd give him a shot now. Yeah, right. You just happened to call this guy up and and play him in practice on the night the day before he's going to play the team that signed him and then released him. That's kind of a dick move. Again, I can respect that, <laughs> but it is kind of a dick move. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's total. It's a total, total like respectable, like game recognized game move right. there from. Because I would, you know what? If it's the other way around, yeah, we'd be on this podcast saying, you know what, the Islanders should play Jan Kovac, yeah. like they should just for the Bruins game, even if it's just for the one game. So yeah, uh, yeah kudos to the Bruins for that, yeah. and. Uh, <laughs> I don't don't know how many minutes Johnny Boychuk got in his first game against the Bruins, but I bet it was a lot. Let's put it that way. So yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so, uh, so yeah, so that's where we're at now. We'll talk a little bit more about the upcoming schedule later, but uh, you know, again, I don't want to rehash what we said last week because we got a lot of other stuff to get to, but um, you know, as long as they can keep kind of their head up and, and not, not let the, what loses the losses, you know, get strung together, um, they can they can be in a good spot by Christmas, which is, again, something we didn't expect to do. And and you can see how that is. And, you know, a little bit here and there, they're going to they're going to get closer to what Trotz wants. And there are going to be lapses. The first period against the Caps, he said they weren't good uh, and they gave them too much respect, which is another kind of interesting quote as well. Like, here's a guy who was just giving that team a ton of respect in their own locker room. And, you know, but he said you know you're gonna have to go through the island to to, to win it again. We're gonna. It's gonna be hard to hate you guys 
with the implication being that he's going to have to learn to because that's they're the enemy now. And he said they gave him too much respect and how they should the Islanders should have played them a lot harder. And they didn't. And they got, you know, kind of burned for it. So um, that's, you know, these are all little bits and pieces that will come over time, I guess, and the change of mindset of a team that's kind of had it set one way for a long time. But uh, uh, one thing he definitely needs to fix is the power play. Um, are we? Am I wrong in that Scott Gomez is the guy in charge of that? I mean, I see a lot of stuff on Twitter. I'm assuming he's the guy, right? Like, is he? Is that his? Yeah, name? I, 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 like it's it's kind of like Greg, the Greg Cronin thing. I, I think it it always get you. You got to blame the, the the blame begins and ends with or begins and ends with the GM and the uh, coach because mm-hmm. you know more more the coach and the power play, but uh, the head coach. I just don't think. Like there's a system at play. It's not working. Barry Trotz is probably the person putting together the units. Mm. Um, Scott Gomez obviously isn't doing a great job at the moment <laughs> either. But uh, like I, I don't know. I don't think you know Scott Gomez firing. Like people are calling him to get fired. Mm. I don't think firing the assistant coach in the middle of a season uh, under you know a guy like Trotz is uh, <laughs> kind of kind of like a wise move, especially because things are going pretty well. Like uh, so, hopefully the power play corrects itself. It is an abomination right now, yeah. but. Uh, it is cyclical, I think, yeah. with power plays. So, um, Trot said that um, the the current setup is probably going to get one more game to kind of work its kinks out, but then he's probably going to change again if if the, the the pattern continues. If the pattern continues and they go over four again on the power play against the Bruins, they're probably going to lose that game. So that would be a good time to change it. Um, but you know, Matt Barzell right now was on the second unit. Uh, that's you know, we call it the second unit, but even Trotz is like. Whichever unit scores and does well is going to play more, so it doesn't really matter. Um, our friend Kerry Haber wrote a whole thing about how the power play isn't working right now, and in many ways it's not working, and made the argument that uh, maybe Barzell should kind of get carte blanche on the power play and just be out there for 90 seconds and you know just kind of see what he can do because he's the only guy out there who's kind of making things happen, and everybody else is very stilted. And you know we've praised Josh Bailey; he's had a good season; he's a good player. You know, you can argue for and against how long it took him to get there, but he's a good player. But I just feel like on the power play, he's just very stilted and very, like, predictable. And Nick Letty, too, for that matter. Like, I think they just they kind of go through the motions and they kind of just do what they think they need to do as opposed to, like, actually trying to put the puck in the net. I mean, again, I'm not a coach. I'm not on the ice, but uh, Lee is going to do what he's going to do. He's going to stand in front of the net. Beauvillier is now kind of filling that role too. I feel like Everly's a lot more creative than those two other guys, but for some reason, I feel like just Bailey and and Letty just aren't really carrying their weight. And I might be wrong, but it just feels like they're really not. Yeah. I think, um, Bailey as good as he's been is he's just never going to be like that kind of power play presence just because he doesn't have one thing like on the power play. You are trying to get the most out of everybody's best asset, like the Ovechkin shot. It, the Patrick Lyon shot, the you know Ryan Pollock shot, Boychuk like a couple years ago. Th- there's a there's something you you're trying to set up because it gives you the best percentage of scoring. And for the Islanders, it's not Josh Bailey, and I think too much of the uh, the play goes through him just because teams overload against Barzal when he was out there with Barzal. And I don't and I just think he gets a little bit more space because teams are like you know if Josh Bailey's gonna rip one and score, he's gonna it's gonna happen. Like mm. you tip your cap and and you t- take the face off. Um, I, I mean, I, I I like Everly and Barzal split just because I, I mean, I'd love to see them together. But I think that if you take out, uh, one of them off the second unit, like you're going to be having Cal Clutterbuck and Phil Pula out there. Well, it's, it's a that's a problem. What, uh, <laughs> Clutterbuck's already out there and uh, yeah, Phil exactly. Pula's next probably. So, 
Right. Um, I, I, and I've always said, like, Nick Letty as the – if Nick Letty's the only point man, I don't like it just because he doesn't have the same kind of – like, if, if Nick Letty's taking a sh- slap shot from the point, the defense is going to let him take that. So he's got a lot of space. His his best asset is, is transporting the puck, yeah. which is why I think him and Boychuk are just a match made in, in not heaven because I don't think they're, you know, a great pairing on the power play. But they're, that's adequate. Yeah, they you know, complement each other for sure. Yeah. Right. Uh, Letty's Letty's pass first, Boychuk's uh, shot first. It is going to cause the defense to uh, kind of cheat yeah. in that direction. Yeah. Uh, so I'd, I'd like to see Barzal. Like, like I think Carrie makes a great point. I think Barzal gets should just run. Like mm-hmm. he should run the power play uh, as long as it is. If he wants to play the full two minutes, go right ahead mm-hmm. um, because he he's the best facilitator like one of them in the league he's one of the best facilitators in the league sure everything everything else i think is is hopefully it'll click at some point because it's it's just not clicking (laughs) out yeah and it's annoying i mean it's like annoying too it's it's, that's what it is more than anything we're we're in the uh please decline the power plays you know section of the game basically right Uh and it's not and it it's it's like extremely frustrating because it looks like there's a simple solution. Anders Lee has a clear role. Mm. Like he's there, he is. He's in front of the net. Ryan Pulak should have a f- clear role. He's the you know the trigger man at the point. Matt Barzell should have a pretty clear role. It's the other two spots, I guess, that they just got to figure out the right combination, and it hasn't happened yet. If they can figure out one combination, they'll be okay. Because I mean, very. I mean, they, actually, the, the Athletic just had a thing about this too. Like. Second power play units don't really do nearly as much as first power play units, which is why they get all the time, you know. So, I mean, all they got to do is find one right combination and make it work and carry that. Um, you know, it's funny you, when you talk about Nick Letty, it just occurred to me that, like, I, I think part of the problem is that they have – so you got a couple of guys on the, on the point, and so Letty's shot, nobody really respects it because it's not particularly hard. <laughs> he doesn't really put a lot of oomph into it, and it never really – doesn't really do much. Whereas Pollock's shot is super hard and Johnny Boychuk's too, but they miss the net like 75% of the time. And a lot of times it's not really helping uh, by missing the net or, or it's so hard that it goes completely wild. and doesn't really do anybody any good either. So they have to find a balance in there. Either Letty's got to put more jazz on his shot or Pollock's got to maybe tone it down a little bit, you know, from down from 11 to maybe nine <laughs> and maybe get it on target more and, and help, you know, Lee or Bovillier or whoever, kind of get those tip-ins because right now him just the him winding up he he winds up he takes that that stick and he winds his arms back to like toledo and then he takes a shot and the whole building knows he's going to shoot it and then all the puck does is escape wild oh, you know i don't even think the goalie has to make a save half the time so it's a little bit frustrating right and that honestly could be the fix yeah. to the power plays <laughs> just ryan pullock hitting the net and and that just it seriously could if you think about it like him missing the net is Hitting, him hitting the net is kind of the missing ingredient right now yeah. to what should be a good power play on paper. I mean, every power play should be good because yeah. your best players. But, you know, Matt Barzal, Anders Lee, and Polak, like those are perfect people to have on a power play. Yeah, for sure. Um, speaking of Carey, by the way, I forgot to mention before, uh, he's done some work uh, on, on his Twitter account talking about how the Islanders, uh, you know, his 10-game rolling average, uh, kind of explaining how the Islanders are doing in terms of shots and, and you know, league uh, league average and things like that. And, and you know, they were being carried by a, a shooting percentage and luck early in the season. But as the season has progressed, their their shot metrics have gotten better. So, I mean, they are getting better at the things that we would want them to get better at. They're not perfect. They still have a long way to go. And I think a lot of that has to do with the uh, the personnel. 
uh, and buying into the coach's system, but but they are getting there. So it's been been pretty uh, you know pretty encouraging. Take a look at his yeah. uh, his uh, Twitter account; you can see that kind of stuff. Yeah, if you look at like the vids that he makes and like guys like Sean Tierney makes, which honestly, like you don't we're we're not asking people to like go take a look at Corsi and look at Wowies or whatever. But if you look at the Viz, like it gives you just such a good snapshot. Like the Islanders right now are basically above average in like expected goal differential, um, like, like their past couple of games. And that just goes to show you like things are starting to work under the hood. And if they just stay at this kind of rate for the whole season, like we'll get a playoff race mm. and having, I feel like it's a 2000, you know, six again. And, all I'm hoping for is meaningful games in March and April. And if they give us that, like what, what an amazing season it would yeah, be. It like, it's, cool. it, yeah. yeah. And that's, that's it. And, and this is, that's like kind of the rate they're at right now. Um, speaking of meaningful games, that's a good segue. We'll talk about this now. Uh, so they have the Bruins uh, Thursday night, which is probably the evening on which you're listening to this. Uh, and then Saturday is the triumphant return of the Islanders to the uh, NYCB Live, home of the Nassau Veterans Memorial Coliseum, otherwise known as Nassau Veterans Memorial Coliseum or just the Coliseum. Uh, it's the first of 21 regular season games they're playing there. They're playing their, their longtime rivals, the Columbus Blue Jackets. Um, but I guess it had to be somebody. Um, I heard from a friend of mine that uh, he got tickets. I, apparently, there are still, still some tickets available. Apparently, they're expensive. Uh, so while the game might be played at the Coliseum, you're probably still going to play some Barclays Center prices. I'm sorry to hear that. Uh, if you buy a hot dog or pretzel or beer, they're probably going to cost you what Barclays Center charges as opposed to what the Coliseum used to charge. Uh, that being said, I mean, it's it's pretty exciting. And I got to, I, I guess, eat a little crow or mea culpa, whatever, but like, when they when they moved to Barclays, I was adamant that they were never going to play at the Coliseum ever again. As it became obvious that this marriage was not working out uh, for many reasons, and we've talked about ad nauseum here, uh, and it seemed more likely, uh, you know, I kind of became just sort of you know uh, null to it. Now that it's actually happening, I'm kind of interested to see how it happens, and as a temporary um, home for them. Uh, again, we're all assuming that they're probably just going to play there for good for the next two seasons before Belmont is built after this one. Uh, you know, I'm totally fine with it. It's it's fine. If the players like it, people want to go there. Barclays is done with them. The players and the team are done with Barclays. Just play at the damn Coliseum until Belmont is built. Uh, at the Islanders' website, they have a, a photo gallery of some of the changes they've made. I don't know where they put this lounge for the players, but it's gorgeous. I want to know where the hell did they shove it? Uh, did they, they must, it must have, it must be in like the, where the team offices used to be. I don't know. It's weird, but uh, it's gorgeous. They got an oven. They got a fireplace. Laura Albanese on Newsday was like, how do they get a fireplace in here? That's amazing. So good for them. They fixed it. If the players like it, then just play there for two years and build Belmont and be done with it. Uh, but yeah, I mean, are, are you going to be there? Are you going or uh, just looking forward to it? Yeah. I'm <laughs> super excited. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, like, like you, I think the the reason we were kind of back when when we first started the show, and I think the first year we did it was the first year at Barclays. Yes. Uh, so at that point, the Coliseum was dead. Like it was gone. It was never coming back. It, and things like things like this don't happen. Like it's <laughs> that's true. The the commissioner of the damn NHL said that they're never going back to the Coliseum. The owner said they were never going back. Like the New York City, the people that like run the city said they're not going back to the Coliseum. They are now in Brooklyn. They are going to be there for 35 years. <laughs> ironclad. Yeah. Iron. Yes, the ironclad lease. We were – you don't – it's not healthy to long for something that's not there anymore. Mm. Um, 
which is it was hard it was like kind of losing a dog um where like it's just not there anymore and it's a huge part of my life it's a huge part of your life and it's back and i hope now because the coliseum as we've talked about on the show a lot in its post mortem years before it became came back like lazarus what it, it it got um painted in a completely different light than it was for the for the 20 years before where the, you know for from basically 1995 to 2015 or whatever 2013 the coliseum was painted as like a thorn in the side of the island of the nhl it was just this terrible place for anyone to go why on earth would you ever go to a game at the coliseum but those but those who knew were like these people don't have a clue at all like this place is the best and then as as you know all these places wanted to write a story the nhl wanted to do their documentary it became the barn it it, it was fort never lose again it was all this stuff and it brought back like the spirit of the whole thing and you hope that that now is cherished mm. and comes to light because i and that's what i'm hoping for the like the most is that people go back and know like all right we probably have two more years we're so lucky to have this place mm. as our home because it's not like you know it's these like cookie cutter arenas mm. it's it's got character it's small we're, we're all on top of each other we're, we are literally only team of professional sports with an arena like this i guess maybe the jets <laughs> but but this is like a huge opportunity to 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 make like to kind of give the coliseum the, the send off it deserves in uh, for two whole years right. so uh yeah, I'm, I'm super excited i can't wait to see the t- uh the the parking lot uh <laughs> Hey, you might see Clark just, Gillies out there. He was saying he's going to be at the tailgates, so you never know. <laughs> yeah, I think I think I think like we, we, we've seen the alumni nights. I think when they have him back at the Coliseum, like stuff like that, it's going to be awesome. Yeah, because uh, oh, yeah, you know about that. Yeah, yeah. I just think there's gonna, there's like a lot of there's a lot of opportunity now to do cool things because they saw the appetite for you know giving the Coliseum the send off it got. Like people kind of get it now, and uh, yeah, I, I'm so excited. I think. I think it'll be interesting to see on a February, you know, February 9th, mm. the Colorado Avalanche are in town. If the place sounds like that's a Coliseum 2008 yeah. or if it, or if, or if people actually go. Yeah, that's my worry. Like, I'm not too worried about Saturday night. I'm sure it'll – it's still got a couple of days. I'm sure it'll fill up, especially if they win, you know, against the Bruins. I think it'll fill up. I think a lot of the Saturday night, you know, weekend games will fill up. But, yeah, I mean, you know, a game against – uh, the Avalanche on a Tuesday. Uh, I'm, I'm sure like a game against the Penguins will fill up, but uh, they have one in, in December and they have a Saturday against the uh, the Red Wings. That'll be fine too. But like in January, January 8th, hey, my birthday, uh, it's, you know, at at the Hurricanes like <laughs> or against the Hurricanes at the Coliseum. And look, I've been to a lot of Hurricanes slash Whalers games at the Coliseum. I know what they look like. And if this looks like one of those, that's a problem. Like, you know, and, uh, and not that they can really do much about it, but that's going to be disappointing. And and I hope that it isn't. I hope that, you know, again, I, that's why I mentioned the ticket prices, because I think a lot of people it's not out of a lack of desire to go. I think they just might be like, holy cow, well, I'm going to pay this much money for a, I'm going to I'm going to pay glass seat prices for a third you know, tier ticket, like our seat in the three hundreds. Uh, that's a little bit crazy if they can even get one. So hopefully that that's not a problem. Uh, you know, I, I remain skeptical, but I'm, I'm hoping to be proven wrong. Um, my thing though, is what you, what you, everything you said, I, I totally agree with, uh, you know, the perception of it has changed a lot. And I, I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that, you know, again, the, the marriage with Barclay center hasn't really worked out 
the way I think anybody hoped. And I think the big thing about going back to the Coliseum that people are really attracted to might be that this is the home of the Islanders. Like th- this is where they they feel comfortable. Like everybody feels comfortable yeah, this is, here. This is it's the island, right? Yeah. It's the island. Like this is yeah. where they were born. This is where we all we all kind of grew up there. And you know, Barclays Center is is not it's not a bad building at all. It's a totally fine arena. I mean, if you go to watch wrestling shows or Nets games or concerts, it's totally fine. There's nothing wrong with it. But it in terms of a home of the Islanders, it never felt comfortable. Like it never felt like no matter what they did to it, they you know changed the Nets shop to the Swag Shop or they you know hang a banner here or whatever. It never really felt like and you know i lay most of that at the feet of brett yormark uh for making sure that didn't doesn't it felt that way but like i never really felt like this is the home of the islanders it felt like the islanders are playing here but it's not their home you go back to the coliseum it's going to take two seconds to feel like home again and you know when they build belmont while they're building it to be their home so it better damn well feel like their home but uh that well that remains to be seen but i think that's the big thing it's like people are looking forward to feeling comfortable again at an islanders game as opposed to being like and i think i think we you said it right we're comfortable there i think islander fan bases the islander fan base is so it's like such a community thing it's yeah uh, and i don't mean like that like oh yeah like there's you know like yes every fan base is a community i mean like the islanders fan base comes from a community it doesn't come from a city <laughs> it literally comes from right like a, the suburbs and and it's a suburb ability it's not flashy it's nothing it's just we go there to watch the islanders we, we feel comfortable just seeing the islanders play not being sold anything while we're watching mm. We you know we don't want you know we don't need a stupid this or a stupid that being sold to us there and then we and then we leave and uh and that's it and and I can't wait to do that I did not appreciate one bit Brett Yormark they had that that town hall <laughs> heard thing. about this took, yeah <laughs> he, he took he took credit the, you know what the guy I, I give the guy credit because there's so many of times where I tell people oh no he's just trying to get under your skin like he, he doesn't you know you don't even he doesn't even know who you are this is somebody you saw this on twitter don't let it get under your skin that's what he's trying to do and he does it to me all the time and he did it again when he said that he took he took credit for the islanders being back at the coliseum uh let me get which is, let me get the actual yeah. uh, quote here hold on one second uh i mean yeah. he deserves credit because the, but the credit he deserves is because he flubbed the Barclays Center so badly that the Islanders had to go back to the Coliseum. Right. So I, I mean that guy. I if I, I like to say this about you know seeing sometimes seeing like uh, like politicians I hate. But if uh, if I ever see Brett Yarmark, I'll be making that one phone call really quickly. I feel like because I, I might just punch that guy in the head. <laughs> uh, well, this is so it's not a direct quote, but Robert Brodsky of Newsday uh, was at that town hall meeting where they're talking about revitalizing the Nassau hub, uh, a phrase that. Uh, makes me sick yeah. to my stomach because I've heard this a billion, million times. <laughs> um, but uh, he said, uh, again, this is Robert Brodsky saying, Brett Yormark hints at a new tenant for the, the Coliseum and takes credit for bringing the New York Islanders back to the Coliseum for 60 games over the next three years. Yeah, okay, Brett. <laughs> uh, like you said, well, he deserves credit in the sense that he made sure that the Islanders never felt comfortable at Barclays Center and uh, pushed them to come back to the Coliseum, which Barclays Center also runs and can make more money from – them playing at the Coliseum. So yep. Yes. And like you said, I, I've seen that town hall happens three times a year. <laughs> it's, 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 it's your mark or whoever else is, mm. you know, get in charge of building the hub, politicians, people who don't want the Coliseum there and another developer and it gets quashed. Right. And then we do it again next year. And then somebody goes to jail for corruption. Yeah. That's, that's how, that's how this goes. And <laughs> that, that, that kind of, it pissed me off to no end to see that. Yeah. Um, and it, because I've been so jazzed up all week about the Coliseum being there on Saturday night, mm. uh, and that kind of just like, 
that guy, he just he just better not be there. <laughs> um, uh, Jim Baumbach, Robert Brodsky's uh, colleague at Newsday, <laughs> actually had the same thing in mind that you were just saying. Basically, he's like, I laugh. This is a, one of his tweets. I laugh every time Brett Yormark says this is the last chance to get the Nassau hub right. There have been many last chances before him. <laughs> and if this fails, history tells us there will be many more chances after him, too. Like, that's just that's the way it is. Like, because this is ne- I mean, even even Brian Compton was like, this is deja vu all over again. Like, we've, yep. we've seen at this the, and at the at- at the risk of going off the rails a tiny bit, the, the, in the Newsday article, they mention how Yarmark and his company have an idea for uh, housing. Mm. And they call them, I think, micro-apartments for millennials. And the sentence said, and I'm, I'm, this is a little bit of paraphrasing, but it basically said, where uh, where millennials can have rent out their own private bedroom but share a common room and bathrooms. Does that like sounds like a dorm. I don't know. It's uh, that's exactly what it is. I I wanted to tweet it, but I didn't want to give Brett Yormark the credit right. of getting under my skin publicly, <laughs> even though I just did right now. That's pretty but yeah, yeah, it's a dorm. It's a dorm. Yeah, uh, and uh, I hope uh, and it doesn't mention there, but uh, I really hope that Charles Wong's name was thrown around maybe in that meeting as a you know, hey, he kind of had this same idea a long time ago. Yes. But I definitely don't want to get off on the rails now. But anyway, there you go. If you're going to any of these NASA Coliseum games. And you want to look sharp and you want to wear some cool, unique stuff that captures the spirit of the Coliseum. You should check out SneakyAthletic.com because they have some awesome Fort Never Lose apparel. And uh, they have a deal for you, right? Is that right? That's right, yeah. If you uh, if you type in anxiety in the discount code, you get 10% off. Uh, and, you know, it would be greatly appreciated. We're, we're, we're working with, uh, with these guys for a little bit. And uh, the shirts are awesome. They also have a... Uh, a hat with uh, a Matt Barzell. They have a goat's line, uh, and the Matt Barzell hat is pretty cool. Uh, so yeah, it's a sh- stop by. Yeah, and they have a Fort Never Lose hat too. So if you have, a, so if it's gonna be cold that day, you want the Fort Never Lose wool hat. Keep your head warm. Do that. Yeah, and it's it's the the, the name Fort Never Lose. Like no matter what, like it's just the coolest thing <laughs> to me. Like I was never there. Fort Never Lose to me was like when the Islanders won three games in a mm. row. And uh, that was it. Or, or, you know, I guess the closest I ever got to it was that uh, that Maple Leaf series well, I was, in 2000. I was going to say, I don't know if we've ever heard it said unironically. Like, I've never been like, well, this right, is yeah. Fort Never Lose here. It's always like, oh, boy, look out. Fort Never Lose. We beat the the Senators in overtime. <laughs> or we we tied the Lightning. You know, that kind of thing. But, uh, but yeah, no, Fort Never Lose is, is a, a unique thing that, that resonates with everybody. I mean, as an Islander fan, you, you hear it from the minute you're a little kid. And so this is awesome apparel. Again, sneakyathletic.com. They have a whole Islanders tab. It says Isles. Just click on it. All this stuff is there. Put in anxiety in the discount code box and you'll get 10% off. And uh, we really appreciate it. It's pretty awesome. And you should do that. Uh, okay. Uh, let's uh, let's talk about real quick about some league goings on. Um, uh, you We already mentioned the, the enormous Nick Schmaltz trade. Nick Schmaltz is one of those guys. He's like Johnny Boychuk. He sounds like a guy who should have played in like the 50s, you know? Like it's a great <laughs> hockey name, Nick Schmaltz. I don't know if he's any good or not, but he's an Arizona Coyote now. Uh, and um, He was good last year. Yeah. I remember him being, you know, the the guy with Patrick Kane. And, I feel like all then, the Blackhawks are good because I, I watch yeah, them every year. But on then the, they end up on the yeah, Coyotes. Yeah, but they're not good anymore. They end up on the Coyotes. Uh, but, I mean, you hear them – you only see them in the playoffs on, on NBC. So I assume – it's just like with the Sharks. I assume every Shark is an all-star because I see them on the playoffs every year on NBC. And I'm like, oh, this guy's awesome. Listen to the way they're talking about him. Meanwhile, he's, you know, just up from, from the San Jose Barracuda. And uh, he'll probably be traded to the Ottawa Senators for like a seventh-round draft pick or something at some point. Um, but, uh, yeah, so uh, so who went – so is Schmaltz – Went to the Coyotes for uh, Dylan Strome, 
who was a, a like a third overall pick a couple of years ago, and yeah. Brandon Perlini, who like gets traded every year and a half or so, basically at this point. So, right, yeah, a piece probably been back and forth between the Coyotes and Blackhawks <laughs> like eight times. Probably. It's like him and him and uh, what's the other guy, Marcus Kruger. I feel like they're just like. <laughs> It's like, wait, is he on the is he on the Blackhawks this season, or is this a season off the Blackhawks? Yeah. Um, or Pat, Patrick Sharp, I guess, was another one. He he left and came back. Yeah. But um, yeah, I, I don't know who won that trade. It doesn't really matter. I just know that whenever I wake up and I'm like, whoa, there was a trade last night. It's always kind of fun to see everybody kind of scrambling. Oh my god, we got to make heads or tails out of this trade. It's one thirty in the morning Eastern time. What the hell's going on? Um, <laughs> I don't know what's up with the Blackhawks here. They fired Coach Q. They're making trades. They got dudes making a ton of dough that aren't going anywhere. So I don't know what the hell they can do. Corey Crawford, I think, is still hurt. So I don't even know who their goalie is. Maybe he's back. I don't know. It's just a that's a weird setup. It's it's, it's Crawford at Cam Ward. Oh God, good luck. Yeah. <laughs> I mean Crawford. I mean Crawford's awesome, but can't. I mean mm. he's yeah, like you said, he's been hurt. Yeah. He, he took. He was out for like almost a whole year before this that's season. That's what and I then, thought. Yeah. But. Yeah. 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 Um. Yeah. But yeah, the Blackhawks are are very strange. Yeah. Uh. And it and and honestly. The Dylan Strome thing is a perfect example, and this is this is not like you know because me and you are obviously guilty of this. Everyone's guilty of, of the whole tanking thing. Mm-hmm. Like the, the NHL draft, outside of you know four or five guys, most like three or two or three of them aren't revealed until they start playing in the NHL. It's such a crapshoot. Yeah. Like Dylan, like you said, Dylan Strome third overall, Ryan Strome five overall. Mm-hmm. Like these, like Dylan Strome was basically you can't miss. Right. And he, he missed with the team that he was on. So yeah, that's why, you know, at this point, like with this team, please just keep winning and, and <laughs> give us give us. I, I don't we're not going to get the first overall pick anyways. Like we're too good. Yeah. for We're in that too good range. So and, and give us some good. Give us some games. And I got news for you. Uh, Lou Lamar, you don't hire Lou Lamarell and Barry, Barry Trot to tank a season. Like you just don't. Right. So that was never in the cards anyway. But, you yeah, know, I think about this all the time when it comes to the Edmonton Oilers. And we'll, we'll talk about them next. Um, like. You know, Connor McDavid is obviously one of, if not the best player in the league. Like, he's he's one of the top two best players in the league, hands down. And he's great. But I'm old enough to remember when Taylor Hall was a can't-miss first overall pick. And it was like, this guy's going to lead the Oilers to the, the promised land. And then Ryan Nugent Hopkins was supposed to lead the, the Oilers to the promised land. And then Neil Yakupov was supposed to lead the Oilers to the promised land. And they never do. And, like, those are fine. I mean, okay, Yakupov had his problems. Taylor Hall just won the MVP for a team that he got traded to. And, you know, Nugent Hopkins is a totally fine player. But, like, the way people talked about him coming out of that draft was, like, he was going to be, like, you know, I don't know, Danny Briere or Danny Savard or some, one of these guys that's just, like, a relentless, you know, kind of shifty water bug type that scores all the time. And it just hasn't been the case. And now maybe it's part of the problem is that the team he's on. But, yeah, I mean, just because this guy, these guys are called can't-miss prospects going into the draft or the year before the draft doesn't mean they're going to turn out that way. And it's like, you know, yeah, okay, Austin Matthews is obviously a can't-miss prospect. He's awesome. Hey, Matt Barzell turned out to be a pretty awesome pick. And he was number 16. The, the Islanders had to you know, scam their way into the, the draft to even get him. So, you know, there, there are gems to be found everywhere in the draft. But, you know, just because you get that third overall pick or the second overall pick doesn't mean that – you know he, that guy's going to be an all star for you for the for the foreseeable future. It's just you know Strom is just the next the next latest example, and and it's only a matter of time before Nugent Hopkins gets traded too, probably because yeah. they have a new coach. <laughs> uh, yeah. The day after we talked last time, the Oilers fired Todd, Todd McClellan and hired Ken Hitchcock, and uh, you know it's an interim thing. But look, Ken Hitchcock is a Stanley Cup winning coach. He he is forgotten more hockey than you and I or anybody listening to this podcast will ever know. 
and he's won a Stanley Cup, so he ain't going anywhere. There's nothing interim about this. He's there to kick some butt and take some names, and he's going to be the latest guy that the Edmonton uh, media is going to fall over until they stop winning, and then they're going to throw him out on his ass, basically. Yep, yeah, and uh, him and Mc... it, it was this was totally worth it just to see the uh, Oilers fans and people just be, freak out about what he was how he's going to make turn Connor McDavid into a two way forward and stuff. <laughs> so I mean, it's yeah. just it's it's yeah that I, like thank God the Islanders got Barry Trotz is all I got to say. It's, it is really it's a really amazing to see all these coaching moves and not be like man why can't we get that guy. Like we're totally right. cool. Like we're t- I'm totally cool. <laughs> you know, even, even if you have like problems with Lamorello, and I get why. I mean, there's there's a thing there. Still, like it's you know, I think they're pretty good. I mean, again, they just hired these guys, so they're not getting rid of them, which is part of it too. But like you're like, nah, I'm all right. I'm I'm pretty good. Um, speaking of general managers, uh, I as the Blackhawks kind of transition to a new phase of their history and the Oilers stay stuck in the same neutral position that they have been in for a long, long time. I would like to personally welcome back the Philadelphia Flyers to being the Philadelphia Flyers because out of nowhere, they fired Ron Hextall, their general manager this week. Everybody wants to coach fired. Not they fired the GM anyway. And then today they fired his like 20 year long uh, assistant GM, the guy who's been in charge of, the drafts that they've had, which have been pretty good. He got fired, Chris Pryor. And uh, they let um, Gord Deneen. Was it Gord Deneen? Yeah. The yeah, assistant coach. Some, some guy named Gord. Yeah, Gord. He got fired. He's the guy, the coach on the, on the defensive half of the thing. He was brought in by Hextall. They're gone too. Uh, Paul Holmgren is in charge now, which if you are a lover of NHL chaos, this is your Christmas because Paul Holmgren <laughs> brings the crazy wherever he goes. And basically he fired Ron Hextall because they weren't doing enough. They had gotten away from the – traditional philosophy of the Philadelphia Flyers, which is to always be doing something all the time. And Ron Hextall wasn't doing that. He was being patient and um, they just fired him. And if you go to the athletic, Charlie O'Connor does great work for the Flyers, uh, writing about the Flyers for the athletic, as does Broad Street Hockey, our friends uh, on the SB Nation Network. And, um, you know, you're a listener to this podcast should sound pretty familiar Hextall's preferred management style never really was the Flyers' preferred style. He was a necessary course correction to the excesses of the Holmgren era, and the organization will benefit from years from his draft strategies and stockpiling of assets. But in order to successfully, dramatically shift the very nature of the Philadelphia Flyers, Hextall needed tangible, on-ice proof that his way would work and the old way had failed. It never materialized. Uh, And so that sounds to me like a guy who was patient to a fault. And I think we can both agree that we know what that's like (laughs) when, you know, things are happening and, uh, you know, um, this could be work out. But right now, this team isn't going anywhere. And Paul Holmgren saw that and he wanted to get rid of it. So now I I want us to do an exercise, you and I. Okay, you ready? Ready. I'm going to I'm going to count to three. And on three, I think uh, we're both going to say who (laughs) we want to replace Ron Hextall as the Flyers general manager. All right. Do you have a name in mind? Of course. Okay. So here we go. So do I. All right. Here we go. Same time. One, two, three. Garso. <laughs> there you go. All right. See, I knew that was going to happen. That was unplanned. <laughs> um, that would be awesome, obviously. Yeah, it would like be so – it would be It would be awesome. It would be beyond awesome. It would – It would. oh, my God. To see To see him in, in that in, – that pull, that pullover, uh, polo, like kind of like dry fit 
shirt he would wear with the collar, like the short sleeve one. It is one of two press conferences he ever would do during a season. There was the preseason one and then the postseason one where he talked about how disappointed he was and how they're got to do better and they're going to do whatever they can to make the team better and make whatever move to make the team better. Mm-hmm. If he could do that in a, an, in a Flyers polo shirt, oh my God. Yeah. I would put I would get a poster of that and put it up in my bedroom. <laughs> now, now in fairness, let's th- there's probably a less than zero percent chance that Garth Snow would be named GM of the Flyers. They're already talking about you know Steve Eiserman has been contacted, or Ron Francis, or Cliff Fletcher, or Chuck Fletcher, who's currently working with Ray Shiro in New Jersey. And so, I mean, I don't think it would happen, but. Snow is a former flyer and he does have experience as a general manager and he's buddies with Paul Holmgren. He is buddies with Paul Holmgren. And, you know, I find it, I think it would be funny because I wonder what the perception of Garth is, is like our perception of Garth is this guy who didn't really put pedal to the metal enough uh, and, and didn't really, you know, strike when the iron was hot, when the, when the team was coming up and could have used a couple extra pieces, he never went out and got those pieces. But I wonder if the perception of him around the league is like, uh, different. So I wonder if they would hire him and be like, Garth is a man of action. <laughs> and we'd just be sitting there laughing. That yeah. kind of thing. I also but, wonder if, if like the perception, I, it's a good point. Cause I think the perception is probably like, they probably think he's worse than he actually was because the Islanders know like the kind of little moves and he, we give it, the Island, Islander fans give him credit for the, like the good moves he's made. We've always, when you have that conversation about Garth Snow, people say, well, he did get, you know, Letty and Boychuk, but like and people bring up the Parento and Molson and whatever. So, you know, other fan bases not, might not be aware of that, those kind of moves. And it, so his perception could actually be worse, which I kind of hope it is because just <laughs> if it, and hypothetically, if they hired him, because we know how Philadelphia Flyer fans are and it would be so much fun to watch that happen. Yeah. It, re- it really would. Uh, again, I wouldn't. I wouldn't bet on it, but it would yeah. be. It's either. Hopefully, it, him- hopefully, it's between him and Mike Milbury in the, fi- <laughs> in, the in the final interviews. I mean, I would. That would be even even better. Uh, would be for them to hire Mike Milbury, who is also probably pretty tight with Paul Holmgren. But uh, yeah, I don't. I don't really see either of those things happening. But even like, I I just want to almost see like a tweet from somebody. Like I want somebody credible like a LeBron or Friedman to be like, you know, sources have told me that Flyers have asked the Islanders for permission to talk to Garth Snow. That would almost be enough. Like even if they never hired him, the fact that they just got permission or like were talking to him or kind of reached out to his people to gauge interest, something along those lines, just for the hours, you know, or a day or two of total chaos would be awesome. And I could just soak it in. And, and enjoy it, but that would be great. A um, couple of things before we, we wrap up real quick that tie together both Ken Hitchcock and the Flyers. Uh, something occurred to me. So, yeah, Ken Hitchcock, again, this guy's a great coach. He's going to go to the Hall of Fame, but and he's a Stanley Cup winning coach. But you know what occurred to me is that that was a long time ago, and it was so long ago that Ken Hitchcock's Stanley Cup was won the year Futurama premiered on TV. Like, that's a long time ago. It was the year that SpongeBob SquarePants premiered on TV. That was a long time. R.I.P. Steven Hillenberg, who uh, who created SpongeBob SquarePants. But, like, that's a long time ago, dude. Yeah. <laughs> like, Bra- fr- fr- uh, fan, a friend of the podcast, Brad Lukowicz, was on that team. Wow. Yeah. Jeez. All oh, right, yeah. I think that he was, was a, at least. Pretty sure he stars, was. The Stars 1990 Cup, 1999 Stanley Cup victory was a long time ago. Yeah. Spe- Bre- speaking. Brett Holm. Brett Holm cheated. Yeah, right. Yeah. That's and, that was back when that was back when like you weren't allowed in the crease ever, and God. he scored and and won. And that 
What a weird. Oh my God. That's, I got, that's a whole thing, man. I was at a party while that was going on and we were all just standing around going, what on earth just happened? That was, oh wow. That was, that was a bad, that was, I mean, I got no problem with Dallas winning. They they had a really good team that year and everything. And I was pulling for Buffalo to be honest with you, but that one was just, oh, that's, we're going to get started. That's a whole other thing. It's it's just real quick, real quick thing about Buffalo with their current 10 game winning streak. The hottest so, team in the league right now. <laughs> yeah, yesterday, yesterday I had a bet on the Sharks against them, and and they, the you know obviously the Sabers win in overtime, and Rick Jennerette did his, you know these guys are good, scary good, uh, kind of thing, which is he said I think he said that about the team with Briere and Drury <laughs> when they were when they were rolling, and it went over it went over all the NHL the NHL analysts were uh, network analysts had no idea like they they were like and I like what Rick Jennerette said about them being scary good. Like, you know, he's paying homage to a call he made back when the Sabres were good, you know, 15 <laughs> years ago. But it's just so funny how, like, we're in a completely new era of NHL where that, that like, post-lockout, not, like, post-dead puck, post-lockout era, I feel like it's just been washed from the record books. But anyways, <laughs> the, I digress. Uh, the, the Hurricanes, Stanley Cup final, yeah, that kind right, of Right, yeah, the yeah. Buffalo Slug era. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, I love Rick Jennerette. I know he gets on a lot of people's nerves and he's old now and, and I'm glad he's he's feeling better again enough to do games. The thing I love about Rick Jennerette is like you hear all the crazy calls like the La 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 Fontaine and Mayday and all that stuff. But like if you watch a game that's called by him, he talks in a very sort of like low monotone voice. He doesn't really get all that crazy until something happens and then he's yelling like a crazy person. I just find that really hilarious. I just it's a very like a lot of guys they kind of have that same sort of thing, but his is for whatever reason more pronounced than everybody else's. Yeah, he's, I just, he's a and people get mad like like same thing with Stan Fisher. Like right now, if you're a broadcaster, you're a broadcaster because it, you, you're you're like professional. You sound good. Your voice sounds good. Like Brendan Burke, who's so good at right. what he does, but like. You don't you don't see Rick Jennerette broadcasters anymore who have like a weird flair about them. Like even <laughs> like Jack Edwards to an extent. Like yes, Jack yeah. Edwards is annoying, but like I would if if we didn't have any of those guys, like mm. it it would suck. Yeah, we don't we don't have guys with shticks anymore. Right, like, exactly. That's the thing. Like right, he doesn't have right. a shtick. Jack Edwards has a shtick. Right. <laughs> and if you that's definitely you know that whole like you know it's always tying things back to the American Revolution and stuff like that. Rick Jennerette's shtick again is the yelling and screaming whenever they score goals. And so, yeah, they don't get those guys like that anymore. Um, but, uh, I mean, again, we love Brendan. He's great. He's as smooth as silk. That They're the best in the business right now, really, when you think about it. Uh, we love Butch, too, because he's fun. And now they have get, get, they keep getting better because they keep bringing A.J. Malesko and Jennifer Botterill in, who have been fantastic. So uh, whatever the Islanders are doing on their, uh, their TV side is working great. Um, the second thing I want to bring up, uh, so, yeah, Ken Hitchcock won a Stanley Cup a long, long time ago. You know who's won a Stanley Cup more recently than the Philadelphia Flyers have? The New York Islanders. <laughs> you know who's got twice as many Stanley Cups as the Flyers? The New York Islanders. Now, I know what you're saying, but Dan, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. It is, because the Flyers have been as successful as a hockey team can be over the last 30 years without winning a Stanley Cup. I just kind of find it funny that like they're making moves because they want to win now, now, now. Meanwhile, like their drought has gone on for you know twice as long as some other teams' droughts. You know what drives me crazy? The Knicks haven't won a Stanley Cup since before the Islanders were founded. Like yeah. that's crazy. <laughs> what am I talking about? The Knicks haven't won a championship since before right. the Islanders were founded. It's uh, it's. I mean, like even before the Blackhawks and the Kings started winning, it's like the we're we're so into our own echo chamber. We say it all the time. Like there are so many cases out there of of teams that are so dysfunctional. Like the Flyers, the only the only diff like the obviously the the relocation stuff is the other kind of elephant in the room with the Islanders 
the Islanders franchise, but these other ones, man, like the how have the Philadelphia Flyers not won a Stanley Cup in my lifetime? Seriously. They've how won, have the St. Louis Blues not won a Stanley Cup in our lifetimes? Like, it's crazy. Unbelievable. Because <laughs> the way the Flyers are kind of talked about and covered, it would seem right. like they've won six right. since since 1990 when I was born. Yeah. So. But, yeah, no, that's that's I, that's the thing. And it just occurred to me, like, wow, that's that's crazy. And what are the know? Bruins? The Bruins won one since then? Yeah. The Bruins, yeah, they won in 70, 72. And then, yeah, it took them until 2015, yeah. 2011 yep. to win again. So, I mean, and the Rangers obviously went on forever. So, yeah, it's just funny. I just find it funny. I mean, again, don't get me wrong. I, the Islanders fans and I, the Islanders have had a, a rough time of it. But, you know, when you look around, there are other teams with rough times of it, too. And I just find it funny that the Flyers are, again, they're a marquee franchise. Don't get me wrong. But yeah. it's been a long time since they've they – play They play on NBCSN, so you know. Yeah. <laughs> so for, for all the pushing to, to get something done now, it hasn't really worked out all that well <laughs> too often. Uh, okay, real quick because we're, we're well over an hour right now. So we got uh, the Islanders at the Bruins Thursday night, the Blue Jackets at the Coliseum on Saturday. And then uh, next week is a beast. Uh, Winnipeg on Tuesday at, at Barclays. And then road games uh, at Pittsburgh on Thursday and at Detroit on Saturday. We'll, we'll talk again next week, probably after the Winnipeg game. Uh, Winnipeg right now is just on another level. They're, they're so good. That's going to be a tough one. I mean, hopefully that – again, I always say this. Hopefully they're playing at the Garden the night before or the, or Prudential Center the night before or in Philly or Boston the night before and the Islanders can kind of jump on them a day later. Uh, I know the Islanders won in Pittsburgh, but, you know, the Penguins aren't going to take that – Laying down and the Red Wings, I don't know. They won a bunch of games and they lost a bunch of games. Who knows what's going on? So, uh, wh- what do you think of how this is going to shake out uh, between the Bruins, Blue Jackets, Jets, Penguins, and Red Wings? Yeah, I mean, I hope it's just kind of status quo. I think you know, if we if you can pick up two points out of every three available, um, the Islanders will will be where like we want them to be when the trade deadline comes rolling around and stuff like that. And and I think you know. Just keep doing what they're doing. They're gonna have off nights. The way they they play is, if things go wrong for them, and I've said it like a couple times, I don't think that they're built to be able to come back and erase deficits. And um, if they can, you know, I would love to see them win that Coliseum game. Obviously, like, and 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 I think more than anything, I want to see that Coliseum game just go well. I want to see, like, I want I just I just I want to see it happen. Like, I I can't wait till it actually happens, and I want. Um, <laughs> So that's right. really what I'm looking forward to. I don't. I mean, at this point, like I th- I'm pretty sure we now have kind of an idea of of what to expect, like what this team's ceiling and floor both look like. We've seen them on bad nights. We've seen them on good nights. If they can just kind of be consistent and keep picking up points, uh, I'll be thrilled. And if we're talking, you know, next week and and they've taken, you know, what do they got? Six points before then available. Yeah. If they take four or five of them, I, I'll be yeah. so happy. Yeah, I think uh, yeah, I think the the game against the Bruins and and the Blue Jackets they can definitely those, those I mean again they're not easy but I think now is the time to strike against the Bruins don't take don't not take them seriously you absolutely should and I don't think Trotz will let them off easy but uh, that game against the Jets just seems like it's a, a bit of a hill to climb and then you know the Penguins again are always tough um, but yeah just kind of stay yeah like you said stay the course keep keep picking up points and and uh, hope that you know. The other teams around them kind of <laughs> falter a little bit right now. The you know the Devils are kind of climbing out of the basement, but the Flyers are in there now. The Penguins are actually right behind the Islanders as of right now. Again, it'll probably change, but the the Penguins are actually behind the Islanders in the standing. So when was the last time that happened? Yeah, um, but yeah, uh, I mean, yeah. I, things are just. I think things things are kind of just going as well as 
you know, they're exceeding expectations still on the ice. And like with the trots thing, like you'll have to come to the fucking island with that stuff. Like it's just it feels good. It feels good right now to be to be an Islander fan in a in a kind of both on and off the ice way. And that is awesome because I was not expecting that this season. <laughs> I think that's as good a place to wrap it up as we possibly could find. So tell everybody your Twitter handle again. It's the Bigly Basket with two E's. The Bigly Basket with two E's. You should follow Mike there. You should go to sneakyathletic.com to buy some Fort Never Lose uh, apparel. You should check out uh, Yes Men Outfitters for their uh, You Gotta Go Through the Island uh, apparel, which is pretty awesome, too. You should read Lighthouse Hockey every single day for your most up-to-date Islanders news and discussion. And uh, let's see where we are a week from today. We'll see what's uh, if you're going to the Coliseum game. Enjoy. Enjoy the tailgating. Hopefully you don't spend too much money. (laughs) Um, But uh, have a great time, and uh, we will be back next week. All right. Thanks a lot for listening. Please leave us a five-star review on iTunes as well. Thanks a lot, and we'll talk to you then. Bye-bye.